have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Psalm 19 is where we're going to be at. And I titled this message, Desire the Right Glory, because um, I just think sometimes in this life we can try to desire our own glory, desire our own name to be lifted up. And tonight I hope we can reorient to desiring God's glory and desiring his glory to be made known across the world. And so if you're there with me in Psalm 19, you'll stand with me as we give honor to the reading of God's word. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. His voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its feet. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated and we'll pray tonight. God, we love you. We're so thankful that we get to be here tonight and so thankful to gather together with one another and to help encourage and lift up one another from what could have been a hard week. And I pray that tonight that your spirit would speak through me, that he would preach a sermon far better than this guy ever could. We just pray for our other churches in Springfield that men will be getting up to proclaim your word, to preach the gospel faithfully, and I pray that as it happens in other churches tonight, that it may happen here tonight as well. So whoever's speaking in main service, whoever is speaking with students, that um, your glory would just be uh, all across Springfield and all across the world tonight, God, and um, just want to lift up us as we about to hear from you, to hear from your word, and may our hearts be convicted, may sin be exposed, and may we give you all the honor and glory, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So if you are not into basketball, you may get bored of this, but right now the NBA Finals are happening, and whether you're a Warriors fan, a Raptors fan, or really could care less what's happening with the Finals. Uh, basketball players, they 
Ten, it tends to be a team sport, but then it can also be very individualized, as if you watched game five last night, you saw one man come back for 11 minutes and put fear into the other team, thinking, if he's back, we're not winning. But then 11 minutes into the game, this one player goes down and ruptures his Achilles, and the whole series went from this team's going to lose, he comes back, oh, this team's going to win, then it comes out, oh, they're going to lose again. And I tell you all this because one man changed the series for 11 minutes. And we don't know what could have happened if he had stayed. But basketball, there's this thing where the better you get, the more you go, the farther you go in the NBA, you have guys like Michael Jordan or Kareem or Will Chamberlain who've made a name for themselves playing the game. And they received all this praise, all this glory for what they did in basketball. You argue over whether Michael Jordan was better or LeBron's better or Kevin Durant's better or now Kawhi Leonard. Like, who's the, who's the best player? And whoever is the best player in the NBA gets all this glory and honor. And I always wondered, especially now watching the series, I'm thinking they get all this glory, all this honor. I wonder what it does to them what it does to have millions of people watch you play and wear your jersey and wear your name on their back. And what does that do for them? What kind of glory are they getting that then goes to their head and says, yeah, I'm something. Like, lift my name up. And as I'm preparing for this week, I'm just thinking, like, these guys – they could use their platform and all these people giving them glory. Like, what if one of them just said, no, all the glory to God? Like, what kind of difference would that make? What kind of impact would that have? And tonight we're, as the sermon's titled, Desire the Right Glory. I hope we leave tonight with a conviction that we don't want to lift our own name up, that we want to see God glorified. We want to see the glory of God made known everywhere we go. Whether that's in our own life in Springfield, if you leave Springfield and go somewhere else, that wherever you're at, you are making God's name known and not your own. We read, we just read Psalm 19, and the first point I want to point out, it's, it's general revelation. And what I mean by that is... Um, you pick up a theology book or any book talking about scripture, God's word, whatever it's titled, it's going to make this difference of general revelation and special revelation. General revelation being God's creation. And we read verse 1 and 2, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And it's describing the wordless revelation in the entire universe. That creation clearly reveals the glory of God. Heaven's here referring to God's dwelling place, but Psalm 19 is written from a human perspective. It's God with the Spirit inspiring the author David, writing from a human perspective that the heavens is declaring everything, the entire universe, from the sun, the moon, clouds, stars, planets, it's as if everything in its entire content 
is declaring the glory of God. Everything is declaring God's glory. And verse 2 tells us that it's day and night. All day, all night, God's glory is being declared. Now, I'm assuming everyone in here, or most of you, love movies. Some probably love seeing movies at the theaters, or you have big TVs in your room. Maybe you have a large projector. Whatever the case may be, you love watching movies. And some of you in here maybe have remembered when TVs had no color or they were really small. And I'm sorry. But then there's some of us in here where this TV is not big enough or that TV doesn't have, it's only 1080, it's not actually 4K, so I'm not going to watch it because I'm a millennial, I'm Generation X, whatever you are, like, I'm not going to watch that. Then some of you go to the movies and you'll only watch IMAX. If it isn't IMAX, I'm not going to the theater. And what I want to tell you and what the Bible wants to tell you is that you can go outside right now, lay down, and you have the largest IMAX screen. It's not even 4K. It's like 20K or 20,000K, whatever the case may be. Like you don't need that TV or an IMAX screen. You can just go outside, lay down, and see God's glory in all creation. A massive IMAX screen to look at. And all day, it pours out speech. And the word here, pours, is that like gushing, gushing, that's not even a word, gushing, bubbling sense. And there may be some people in here who still go to Walmart, buy the kids' bubble bath soap, and take bubble baths. I I don't know if that's someone in here or not, but I'm probably too scared to admit it right now, but it's fine. So picture it as the bubble bath that's just overflowing out of the bathtub, right? Like that's the picture here, that the glory of God is just bubbling out of creation. But then verse 3 says that there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And it, I, I got confused. So then studying this some more, is that everything in creation is gushing out the glory of God, but it's silent. You don't hear trees talking, at least not in real life, maybe in movies, but you don't hear trees talking. You don't hear the wind, the sky, the stars. None of it is talking, yet they are shouting and giving God glory. Like, when I, when I read this, I'm, I thought of Louis Giglio's illustration where he took stars, took some whale noise, and found out the sounds they make, and then he, he swears he didn't edit any of it, but then like starts playing the sounds, and then starts mixing the sounds, and starts doing all these different things to where puts it all together, and somehow all these sounds make the Chris Tomlin, how great is our God version. Completely unedited, yet somehow Chris Tomlin comes into the picture. But his whole point from that illustration was that everything in the universe, from the star millions of miles away from Earth to the whale in the ocean, all the sounds that they are making is crying out the glory of God. Yet we don't hear it. We don't hear the star making noises. 
We're not hearing the whale unless we get real close to the whale, right? And then verse 4, their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Language is no barrier. Distance is no barrier. The voice of heavens goes everywhere. There is not one place on this earth where God's glory is not displayed. And some of you guys may go outside and lay down and look up at the sky. And you may see stars. And the one person in here who actually knows star constellations is saying, oh, yeah, Big Dipper. Oh, yeah, some Greek god, like you're pointing out different star constellations. But those same stars that you're looking at, the same stars you'll see in England, and the same stars you'll see in Japan, and the same stars wherever you went on vacation this summer. And it, wherever you're at, you will see God's glory. It is all around you. And then David moves on and gives us his own illustration of the sun in verses 5 and 6. The sun, so bright that this whole last seven hours, you couldn't see stars. You probably couldn't see the moon unless you got a telescope out and found it. But the sun, so bright that you can't see anything in the sky, except for clouds and not stars. That's what I meant. But the sun, as it's so bright you can't see anything and you can't look at it directly, pours out so much energy on the earth. So much, in fact, that the earth receives 120,000 terawatts of energy from the sun. And you're like, that means nothing to me. How much is that? How many went to Niagara Falls ever? Or seen a movie where Niagara Falls, okay, Jimmy's gonna get this illustration. So Niagara Falls, full force, falling down, like it's a lot of water. So multiply the height of the falls by 20. So a kilometer, a little over half a mile, is pouring of water. Now multiply the flow of that by 10. So instead of 30 tons of water, it's 300 tons per meter. Now that we've gotten the height, let's do the width. So let's stretch that out by North America. We'll, we'll say North Carolina to California. Or in fact, let's actually just stretch it out the entire equator of the earth. So a kilometer high water thundering down on the equator. That cut the world in half. And that is how much energy is poured out from the sun on the earth at all times. Like, that is terrifying. Like, if you saw Endgame, the snap means nothing compared to that. Like. Actually, that's Infinity War. I totally messed that up. But anyway, that's just the sun. That is one star, and there's billions of stars. And that's just stars we're talking about. That's not talking about all the other things that God's created and that is giving him glory at every moment. Any person on this planet is surrounded by the glory of God. And whether you believe in God tonight or whether you don't believe, you're surrounded Believers, you're surrounded by a hymn book or a Elevation Worship playlist or a Hillsong playlist or a uh, Sovereign Grace music. I mean, whatever you listen to, like, it's a hymn book, a never-ending picture of the glory of God. And you may disagree and say that you don't hear creation telling you 
that there's a God. But then think about this. Someone's standing five feet away from you, and you just start screaming at them. Or they start screaming at you, and they start screaming, Chiefs suck. Royals can't play baseball. Iron Man 2, best movie Marvel's ever done. They just start screaming at them, or you start screaming at them. And then they ignore you. Like, they don't respond. And you're thinking, he's deaf, or he's ignoring me. So if you do not see the glory of God in the universe he created, then you need to ask yourself tonight, am I deaf or am I ignoring God? Because the glory of God is clearly seen throughout creation. And God's word clearly paints that, not just here, but in many other places. So there's general revelation. And then secondly, there's special revelation. Creation lets us know there's a God. And Romans 1 makes it clear that there's no one without excuse knowing there's a God. There is a creator of everything and everyone in this world. But we cannot truly know God without his word. And the scriptures are given to us to make us wise unto salvation. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Titus 2 tells us that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's a desire of God that salvation has been made for all people, and his written word is to make us be made wise unto salvation. We can know God more truly now because we have his word. So we look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, David describes God's law as perfect. And then he describes it that the law of the Lord revives the soul. And he describes God's word in law, testimony, precept, commandment, fear, rules, all of these referring to the law of God. It revives the soul. And we've all had times in life where we just feel like we need a pick-me-up. We feel dead and we need revived. A breath of fresh air because we all get tired. We may feel lonely. We're struggling with sin that we just can't seem to resist temptation. But it's God's word that revives the soul. Yet we can be so guilty to run to every other thing in this world to revive us. We can run to movies. We can run to different, we can run to alcohol. We can run to pornography. We can run to different sins that we may be struggling with to try to revive us. Yet it's only God's word that can revive the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Simple meaning uninstructed here, that the simple lives ambiguously, that he just doesn't know what to do. And creation shows us there's a God, but creation can't tell us how to live, how to glorify God and what we do. And we need God's word. So that way we're not simple, that we live instructed lives, that we live according to how God wants us to live. Read a story this week where a mother went to a class at a, Christ, at a seminary, and the class is called Christian Education in the Family. And on the last class, the professor tried an experiment and asked, how many of you think your parents followed the principles we discussed in the class? 
this mother raised her hand. She thought her parents had followed everything the class had taught her. And she expected the other students to feel the same way. But then she found out she was only one girl out of 40. 40 students and one girl felt like her parents did everything that Christian education for the family. So then she gets home and she asks her dad, like, you didn't make it past eighth grade. How do you know everything my Christian education on the family class taught me as a senior? And his response was kind of funny, but he didn't say a word. He was sitting in his rocking chair. He looked at his Bible, looked at her, picked up his Bible, looked at her, looked at the Bible, sat back down. But she knew what he meant. She knew that that Bible sitting on the table beside him was the most important thing to him. That he had placed God's word above all else in his life. And he knew everything that Christian education on the family class because he knew the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That he didn't need to go to a school to learn everything. He just continually read God's word. It was a priority in his life. And I'm not saying don't get help. Like, get help. If you don't understand something, ask someone who may know what you're reading about. Because living godly, you need to make a regular habit to dive into God's word, to read all of it at some point. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Notice the progression. The word revives the soul, the word makes the simple wise, and then the word makes us rejoice. Because if you and I had to live life without God's word, it would be disastrous. We would stumble through life, we would mess up, we would do everything wrong. Like, we probably couldn't get a single thing right. But it's God's word that makes us wise about salvation. Our fallen state, how everything got started. Even historians, when they're studying history, will look to the Bible because its history is accurate. God's word commands us to live a certain way. And these commands, if you live by them, causes the heart to rejoice. Because living to please God will bring joy to your life. And when you don't live by God's way, joy's not there. You may feel sad. You may have guilt. You may have shame for the way you're living. And there's, there's God's word to, to live by the way he commands us. God's commands are not meant to where you live a life that's just crappy and not joyful and not fun. Like, you know, you, you may hear your unbelieving friends say, like, God, living a, being a Christian, like, that's just no fun. I can't have fun. But God's commands are not meant to take away our fun. It's meant to bring us joy, to make us more like Christ, to make us wise unto salvation. So that way we're not separated e from an eternity with God. Because the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commandment, meaning the whole law, God's word, has no imperfection, no impurity. It is pure, and it opens our eyes. It gives us spiritual understanding. 
it guides us to make us right, to make right choices for the decision that you've been struggling to make. That decision where you need wisdom, where God's word doesn't tell you, yes, do this. It commands you to do certain things, but it doesn't tell you how to live. It doesn't tell you whether to take that job or not take that job. To go to that school or not go to that school. And that's where wisdom comes in. But we can't gain wisdom if we aren't in God's word. If we aren't trying to memorize it. If we aren't regularly on our knees asking God for help. One commentary says, spiritual perception is essential for survival in a corrupt world. Because we live in a culture where Christianity is on the attack, or we're being attacked. No, we're being attacked. And it's just getting more and more hostile towards us. Politics is just continuing to try to pass laws that go against what God's word says. More and more government officials going in, getting bills passed, getting different things that the Bible would clearly disagree with. And we need, we need spiritual perception. We need our eyes open to where we can speak truth into this lost world. David continues in. It's weird to read because he says that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And he seems to be talking about the law this whole time, so fear must be what he's referring to, that God's word is fear. And I think we can all be guilty of this, but we try to put God in a box. We try to make God manageable, and we try to tell God what he can do. We limit our expectations, but the Bible teaches us that God is a God to fear. That Isaiah 6, the prophet, being in the presence of God was in fear. That Moses at the burning bush was in fear of who he was standing before. But it's the fear of God that's going to purify his people. We need to learn to fear God. Wisdom starts with fear of the Lord. Digging into his word, into his law, his precepts, his rules, will teach us to fear him. Isaiah feared him. Moses feared him. The apostle John, when in Revelation, is seeing the risen Christ in glory, and his knees buckled, and he fell at his feet as if he was dead he's seen the risen Christ in glory. Prophets and apostles terrified to come face to face with the living God. And that's the God we serve. Someone who's gracious and merciful, loving, kind, good. But he's also holy and he's one to be feared. And this isn't a fear like when you went to the movies and saw Halloween whatever you find to be a scary movie. Halloween was scary for me. But that's not the fear it's talking about. 
It's a fear of respect, a reverence of who God is. The rules of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. ESV says rules. The New King James will say judgments. But the best way to probably illustrate this is some is from a legal perspective. And David loves his Law and Order show. I probably haven't watched that in years. But the whole the whole show is basically the same. It's the bad guy going to court, lawyers, jury, judge, sentence, like the whole thing. But evidence is presented. The eyewitnesses give testimony. They put their hand on the Bible, swear that they'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Because they need the truth spoken to get whoever the guilty one is accused of being guilty or he's innocent. The point is, all God's words, all his rules, all his judgments, all his decisions are true. And because they're true, they're righteous. And that's why everything we read from this book, every word is true. Every word is for our benefit. Because every word in here tells us about a God. A God, who he is, what he's done in this world. It is not for us to live boring, crappy, not fun lives. These commands are all for the ultimate purpose, being made more and more like Christ. Because that's what we want, our greatest desire, glorifying God in all that we do. Let me get to verse 20. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Now, is there anyone in here that actually owns gold? Okay, cool. So let's think of gold then as money. We probably all wish we could use a few more dollars. Some of us may not even have money to buy dinner tonight. So maybe you want just $20 or you want $100 or you want thousands of dollars. Maybe there's a couple of you who are ambitious enough to say, I'll make millions one day. Like, cool. I won't, so I mean, no biggie. But King David here, who's writing this psalm, has everything. Riches, material wealth, material possessions. He's got everything. And he writes that your words are more to be desired than gold. Like, for King David to say that, then obviously money's not the answer. Getting more money in this life is not going to add more joy. It may add temporary happiness. You buy everything you want, bigger TVs. Like, you can do a lot with more money. But for King David to say that your words are to be desired more than gold and that sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Like, the Bible's better than money, and it's better than anything you own. Whether you have a sweet car, you have nice clothes on right now, your job, the $5 or $50 cologne you put on, like the 4.0 GPA you might have had, like any of it, the Bible is better. You can put a whole list like of things you think in this world that are pretty nice, and the Bible beats all of them. And my question is, is the Bible worth that to you? Is the God's word 
on the top of your list like that. That you can put everything you own over here and say, no, I'm taking the Bible every time. Like I'm, I'm studying this week and I'm, I'm asking you this question and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, do I even desire God? Standing up here, I'm just like, man, are you just a hypocrite right now just saying, do you guys treasure your Bible when I need to ask myself the same question? Do I treasure God's word? This whole series, Living on Mission, like, if we're going to have any chance to do that, we got to treasure God's word above everything. That has to become priority in our life. And whatever things you have to cut out of your life, whatever, if you have to wake up earlier, if you have to quit watching Netflix for so long, like whatever you have to do to say God's word takes priority, then do it. Because our our whole summer here, we have more time available to us, and we want to live on mission. We want the glory of God demonstrated in our life, in this church, in Springfield, across the nations. We want the glory of God made known everywhere, and what are you going to do to do that? final four verses here is going to look at the servant who is being obedient. Verse 11 is talking about, um, moreover by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So God's word warns us. This whole book, full of commands. David here, who had the law, had over 600 laws to obey. Things to do, things not to do. If we keep those commands, there's great reward. But if we don't keep them, consider us warned. Proverbs is full of parables about the blessed man versus the wicked man, the one who obeys, the one who disobeys. And the Bible's warning is clear about those who reject God, that those who will reject him will face a second death, a death where your soul is separated for an eternity in hell where once you go in, you're nowhere closer than getting out of that torment. And you can't change your mind about God then. You can't decide to surrender your life to him, to trust him. That doesn't have to be you today. That God's word makes you and I wise for salvation. That he gives a call for all to come to repent and confess Jesus as Lord. So answer the Lord's call tonight. Confess Jesus as Lord over your life. Repent of sins, whatever that may be. Give your life over to God and make his word a priority. The law of the Lord is sweet and desirable because it prevents people from ruining their lives and the lives of other people. And then verse 12, who can discern his errors? Like, that's just David, I think, being funny or just having a rhetorical statement like who can discern his heirs? No one can. Not me, not you, not your small group leader, not your pastor. No one. He doesn't make errors. And then David's asking him, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Sins that you don't even know about. Because you and I have committed sins today that we're, we have no idea about. We may have sinned against someone. We may have done something that God's word clearly forbids, and we had no idea about it. And David is asking the Lord, clear me of any wrongdoing. 
we needed a savior because we couldn't keep the law. We could never keep 600 and some laws altogether. Reading through Exodus or Deuteronomy, reading about all the laws, like some of them you're just like, there's no way. I'm not going to touch a bloody animal. But that's what they were called to do. And we need a savior because we can't keep it. And he left the treasures of heaven and limited himself in the flesh to be the savior you and I needed. If we're honest tonight, not all our sins are just accidents. There's sins that we don't know about, but then there's sins we do know about. And in verse 13, keep back your servant from presumptuous gains. Let them not have dominion over me. And we sin more often than we like to admit. And David's asking God for strength. To not let sin control him. And David wants to be able to resist temptation. Be able to fight sin and kill it. And this verse, as David's writing it for his life, this is also a precursor to Jesus. That in his life on earth, he prayed to the Father that he would keep him from sin. That he would be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Because the word blameless here used in verse 13 is the same word used in verse 7 describing God's word. Because Jesus is the word incarnate. He's the word in living flesh. And in Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. That God spoke through the prophets. He spoke through the law. And in his son, he speaks one final time. His son, who shared the same blameless character as his word. And the psalm ends with a closing prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I want to end tonight looking at this verse because we heard a lot of truth tonight. That creation, one big IMAX screen. That we can see God's glory anywhere we look. We saw a lot about his word, how we should treasure what God has to say. And David wrote all that with all that in mind about the glory of God and finished with this. That his words and the meditation of his heart be acceptable in the Lord's sight. Like we want we want to live on mission today and we want to live proclaiming the glory of God everywhere we go. But we need to let the words of our mouth we need to let whatever our heart meditates on to be acceptable. That when you go serving a small group member, when you're out in public and you see someone, the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart are acceptable in God's sight. Then you may, in public, be more aware of what you could do. That you see someone and you're like, maybe I can serve them. Or you think about your small group member and you're like, I know they're struggling this week. I want to reach out. That you may help someone in need, and you may give them their physical needs, but then you also talk with them their spiritual needs. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
the Lord your rock. Do you lean on him in times of difficulty? Do you lean on him in times of prosperity? Like, it's easy to pray to God asking for help, to get in his word in times of struggle. But are you also doing that when life's going well? When needs don't seem to be so desperate. He redeemed you out of slavery of sin that you may be a servant of righteousness. I'm going to have the band come on up. and um, I don't want tonight thinking that this is something I have figured out. This is hard for me to come up here because I'm just I'm feeling like a hypocrite before you guys saying that you need to treasure God's word, that you need to do all this and that, and this is something I need to do as well. And we, you, I, like, we both want to live on mission. And so leaving here tonight, like, desire the right word. Put God's word first. Because we have any chance of living on mission, we need to do that. And so you stand, I'll pray. Then the band will lead us out. And if you have decisions that you need to make, if you want to come to this altar or sit in your chair, like if you want to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, like praise God. Do that. Tell one of our adult leaders. Tell your small group leader. Tell someone that like, hey, I accepted Jesus today. But if you're a believer in this room, like get Get this right. Get God's word in your life. Meditate on it. Like let the words that come out of your mouth, let the meditation on your heart be acceptable in God's sight. Because he should be your rock. He is your rock. He is your redeemer.